0: Welcome to Tempest and Ateminos, where two life coaches discuss esoteric issues related to life, relationships, finding purpose, and self-understanding. I'm Dr. Misty Marlowe. I'm Suki, a.k.a. the Wild Soothsayer.
1: And joining us again is our friend, Anna Alicia Montano. She is the Psycho-Spiritual Counselor, Psychic Integration and Spiritual Life Coach, Amateur uh, Thanatologist, and a good friend of the show, Welcome, Anna. You can tell hello.
2: Hey, everyone. Uh, is there <laughs> anything else
1: we need to add to your uh, long list of
2: accomplishments? <laughs> um. Well, I guess like part of the work that I do is shadow work, so that's something that I tend to do with clients. So drop that
0: in there yeah so and that's applicable to what we're talking about today that's why Anna threw that in because today's topic is the shadow and um unless you're a, a life coach like us yeah this is something that life coaches and therapists geek out over because it's just so much fun and um But let's say you're not a life coach or uh, a psychologist or a therapist. I um, will do my little bit that I usually do at the beginning of the show and give you some background. And you, you may find this interesting. You may find it boring. If this is the snooze alert for you, this is where you can just fast forward through Misty talking about it. But if you're nerds like us. We love to provide all the background, history, and context. So here we go. This is um, the, the, the what the heck we mean when we say the shadow. So if you've been listening to the show from the beginning, one of our first ever episodes was on archetypes. And we let you know there, there is this guy in the early 1900s, Carl Jung, and he was actually trained and mentored by Sigmund Freud, which most people have heard of. And he actually created his own perspective on psychology that we now call Jungian analytical psychology and at the root of his idea of psychology is this the idea that we have an ego our personal unconscious and a collective unconscious and for a lot of psychology when we say ego we don't mean like hey you're too big for your pants so I have a big ego we mean ego by the stuff that you know you're thinking about your conscious awareness of yourself your conscious mind um so Jung thought we had that like many other schools of thought think we have but his theory was unique because he thought we had a personal unconscious and collective unconscious so your personal unconscious is all your personal thoughts desires and experiences kind of a little bit what makes you uniquely you but your collective unconscious is supposed to be this really cool almost Like psychological inheritance that we have of all these universal and emotionally charged concepts and images, and those are what we call the archetypes. So, these archetypes are innate, universal, and hereditary, they are unlearned, and they function to help you organize how you experience things in your world, how you put Your world into context kind of almost like a structure about how we think about ourselves and others. So as we mentioned, and you know that first episode of the show, really there's an unlimited number of archetypes and Jung kind of got the stuff started but now there are so many psychologists that have their own ideas about archetypes how they manifest. Um, how we think about them, Um, Siki and I actually talked about modern archetypes, so archetypes can change and evolve as culture and society change and evolve, so the number can just keep growing indefinitely, really, but the original four that Jung put out there were the persona, the anima animus, the self, and our focus for today, the shadow, So, time to deep dive. So, the the shadow, according to Jung, was essentially everything outside of the light of your consciousness, and it was not automatically negative. Um, So, but with that in mind, we as humans tend to reject or want to be ignorant about the least desirable parts of ourselves that the kind of ickiness that lives in our unconscious mind so in general when we talk about the the shadow most people kind of are like yeah it's like the negative parts of yourself kind of thing the negative parts of your unconscious mind so but just to be clear like people that suffer from like really low self-esteem anxiety disorders or a lot of limiting beliefs um, they can actually shove positive aspects of themselves outside of conscious awareness too so just I needed to have that caveat just so that you would know um, but we are going to talk about a lot of the negative today and Anna has something to speak to for that as well
2: yeah just on that note um, what you're actually talking about is what Young called the golden shadow so it's Mm. even those positive qualities and aspects of ourselves that we've turned a blind eye too so yeah I just wanted to say that there's an actual term for it too how have I never heard that I have been a psychologist for what feels like forever I have
0: never heard it called that can you say the term one more time the
2: golden shadow
0: nice the golden shadow okay I love that that's I'm gonna like take that and start using that 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 brings my heart joy so thank you so much so um So um, a quote from Jung that's related to the shadow. He said, everyone carries a shadow and the less it is embodied in the individual's conscious life, the blacker and denser it is. So, you know, this is a lot of the stuff that um, like maybe you're not as familiar with Jung, but maybe you like a lot of your Freudian stuff or you at least had like a general psychology class where they talked about Freud. Freud, um, like some of the um, the shadow would maybe have a little bit of crossover with what Freud called the is and it's this idea of like your your primitive instinctual animal self and that we're born into the world with it and it's like culture and society that say you're naughty 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 for having those thoughts and desires and you need to meet the expectations of society and so like you learn how to suppress them and shove them further into your unconscious mind as you grow older out of childhood Um, So for Jung, he said that the shadow is the unknown dark side of your personality. If it's, you know, what we're usually talking about, not the golden shadow, but, you know, the dark side, if you're just talking about the standard shadow and um, it's instinctive, irrational and prone to psychological projection. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that. So put a pin in this idea of psychological projection. So someone might have perceived inferiority, a moral deficiency, and in themselves and they might kind of perceive it in someone else but again we'll talk more about that later um, both Freud and Jung thought dreams were the bomb diggity they thought dreams were the royal road to the unconscious mind so both Jung and Freud if you went in to do work with them they'd be like bring your dream journal and let's talk about your dreams and you know Freud though everything was about sex and aggression so you'd say hi like I was walking upstairs and Freud would say you want to have sex with your father and you'd be like what I was dreaming I was walking upstairs you need to calm down Jung that's part of what he like gotten a tiff with Freud about he's like oh my god like everything's not about sex and aggression you need to calm down we're multifaceted human beings there are a lot of different archetypes so but you know Jungian analytical psychologists will also do a lot of dream interpretation but they'll look for your archetypes um, so dreams and visions which Anna could probably speak a lot more uh, for her work in psychedelics and the role that visions can take in manifesting um you know the shadow and other archetypes as well so another i do love dream work Mm -hmm. um and that totally started with me because
1: oh my gosh just so much stuff come out when i'm dreaming
0: yeah (laughs) oh yeah so yeah, let's take a little detour for a second because this is fun and I want to. So um, speaking of dreams, maybe everybody could go around and if they're comfortable, they can like choose like a, a dream that they saw that was like weirdly symbolic um, and they could draw from. Now, I, I the, my favorite one to talk about doesn't really, or maybe you can tell me, I didn't feel like it had any specific shadow aspects. Well, it kind of does, but no specific like really clear archetypes that are manifesting. But throughout my entire life, If I ever start to feel overwhelmed and stressed out, I will start to have dreams at night that I am driving a car that has no brakes and somehow I get to like the mountains and I'm going down hill. And I'm trying to use the brakes and they won't work. And then I pick up speed. I pick up speed. I'm like over there being like, How the hell am I gonna stop this car? I don't have any brakes. And I'm like, it doesn't take a freaking rocket scientist to say you feel like your life is out of control. Like, thank you, brain. Like, did I really need the, the symbolism of like driving a car and it being out of control? Like, that's not even that far removed. But that that's always like just giving me a chuckle that I'm like, okay, you're starting to have the dreams of the car with no brakes. We need to figure out how we can have healthy control over our lives again because you're starting to feel overwhelmed and out of control so that's my anybody else want to give an example or share a fun dream and like, and oh. looks like she's <laughs> pausing for a minute
1: so my <laughs> so nightmare that and i have like the i have like hellacious like gory stephen king-ish violet nightmares the one that I hate the most is the one where I cannot graduate from high school. They've given me my diploma <laughs> and they're like, okay, listen, we've given you your diploma, you've graduated, but we cannot let you leave until you pass this last math class. And I cannot pass this math class. And, I, <laughs> and, that, is, and that is my least favorite nightmare. That is the one that I wake up from a cold sweat. And you know what, I'll dream about being chased by vampires and, uh, cannibal hamsters all day and all night, but not being able to pass the math class and get out of high school is the one that makes me the most miserable. And what I've discovered is that if I'm essentially letting the perfect get in the way of the good, like I'm trying to over-prepare and I'm stuck in analysis paralysis.
0: Uh, Did you seriously just um, casually skip over your comment of cannibal hamsters?
2: Yeah, I, 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 I was like wait, wait, wait. Did you just say cannibal? Wait, hold on, I'm wait. I'm going to okay.
0: wait. Hold on. What, what, what did no, you did here, you wait, say? Wait, yeah. I um I'm go, I'm going to need you to explain that cannibal hamsters.
1: I may have had a nightmare or two where I was being chased by cannibal hamsters. I occasionally dream in musical theater. These are things that happen to perfectly normal people if you happen to be perfectly normal meat.
0: Um, Were you a hamster being chased by cannibal hamsters in the street?
1: (laughs) For whatever reason, my house had been invaded by cannibal hamsters and alien worms. I don't know what's going on in my (laughs) attic.
0: All right. Okay. Cannibal <laughs> That That was good. That was a good one. That's a good one. But a lot of those same lines, like so many of my clients that I've talked to, um, and I've had this series of dreams as well when I'm stressed out in school about that whole, you had a class all semester and you never went, but all of a sudden you realize you have to go take the final exam and you haven't studied for it. Like, that, so, like, common, and again, like, talking about, like, not feeling like you're prepared for things, so in some cases, when you really start thinking about it, like, sometimes it's just straight-up bizarre, like cannibal hamster, but other times, it's like, no, like, your your brain really is kind of symbolically, but not even really that symbolically manifesting what you're stressed about, what it's worried about, um, so I, that's where I feel like, like, Freud and Jung, they were making a decent point about dreams, you know being that royal road to the unconscious mind and this idea that the barrier between your conscious mind and your unconscious mind gets kind of thin when you're sleeping and your defenses are down and if you do um, some dream journaling some dream analysis it can be really fascinating i shut my clients down when they want to do dream work because i just don't feel like i have enough expertise in that area but i frequently will be like you know go do some of your own research go look up you know the symbolism. Go read some books. So I, I'll kind of push people in that direction. Um, so continuing on with a little context about the shadow, we just have a little bit more. If anybody's getting kind of bored, but I find this stuff. Anna, so did you
1: happen to? Uh, think oh yeah, yeah, yeah. A dream yeah and Anna, dream.
0: dream Oh yeah, almost, almost let you off the hook. How did I almost do I that? Mean, so.
2: I had a dream last night. It was really, really fucking bizarre. I don't like. I don't know what to make of it because I'm like. What do I do with this? So basically we have like a few islands off the coast of Trinidad and we call it down the islands. So I was down the islands at somebody's house and it was like a big wooden house and there was a bunch of us there and there were dolphins in the water. So I decided I was going to go jump in with them because I love dolphins. Mm -hmm. Um, So when I jumped in with them, I noticed like they were really strange. Like, you know, if you think of the typical flipper dolphin, like the bottlenose, it has like that, you know, long snout where these ones the snout was it looked like it had been deliberately cut so it was like this stark flat snout and then they had these green um harnesses on and they were swimming really like robotically and I remember thinking now like I don't mean to offend anybody with this but in the dream I was like is this some kind of Russian experiment like what's going on here So like, I'm swimming around. I'm like, what's with these dolphins, like acting so robotically, like they're not interacting. What happened to their snout? What's with the harness? So I was like, I'm going to get out of the water. And like, when I was swimming by these steps to go back up to the house, all of a sudden, like the house was on stilts coming out of the water and underneath all these like crazy animals started popping up from underneath the water. And it was all these like engineered animals. So they would have like different body parts of one another. So like, you might have like I don't know, like a tiger that had like um crocodile legs instead mm. and the head of like some other animal. So it was just really like it's just one of those things where I was like, what what is this? I mean, one thing I do know is like in terms of like a Jungian perspective, like water, like ocean elements or water elements are supposed to represent your unconscious, mm-hmm. your unconscious mind. So I'm like Okay, well, um, what, what are you trying to tell me here? <laughs>
0: <laughs> the only thing that I, and this like is totally just kind of grasping, that sometimes it, it can get the thought process started, is that you started the conversation by saying you love dolphins, like you're very excited about them. So the first thing that went through my mind is that something that, that you love and trusted now has mutated, changed, and become unfamiliar and untrustworthy and dangerous. So like represent, representing like a scary transition from something you felt you knew and were connected to, to something that now you're not connected to and is threatening or dangerous kind of thing. Um, that
2: makes a lot of sense, actually. And here the irony, right? I actually do dream work with my clients. It's just like, <laughs> my own dreams. I'm like, I don't get it. <laughs> Sometimes it's very much like in my face and I'm like, got it. But yeah. otherwise I'm like, mm, I'm not really too sure. But when I'm working with clients, I'm like, oh, okay, like this is going on, you know, like whatever, but yeah. But what you're saying makes sense though. So. Yeah.
0: so that's why therapists and life coaches go see their own therapist and life coach because we are very well versed that sometimes you get your own shit and sometimes you're too close to it and mm-hmm. you need a, a, you know a neutral person who doesn't live your life to be like well what about this and you're like yeah yeah you make a good point okay
1: <laughs> and but. just as an example of how two people can hear the same thing different ways my first thought is what well, my first question was um what are your concerns for what's going on in our environment and <laughs> our world globally? Are you worried, you know, what are your, you know, do you worry for our environment and extinction and people, you know, I have,
2: hmm. I have to check the date. Cause I don't know if this happened, this was a dream from last year. And I don't know if it was like just before COVID hit or like just after COVID hit, it was some time around there, but it was around the same. Like I had another really weird dream. And I know that one was just after COVID hit, but this one, I'll need to check the dates so I could kind of have like a little bit of background context in terms of what was going on.
0: Hmm. And the only reason I
2: say this, is cause you said you're like, they're being experimented on. And it made me think of like, okay, so there's,
1: you know all this concern about, you know, we are as human beings manipulating our environment in ways that are becoming ever more
0: terrifying. not yeah. <laughs> like- taking the best of care of our environment and you know when when are the animals going to get pissed off and fight back you know but um, yeah <laughs> like cannibal so. hamsters cannibal <laughs> Hannibal hamsters like are the hamsters going to be like i'm tired of you shit we eating each other and we gonna eat you too like you better run like we, we sense, eat. Any-
1: some hamsters will eat their young so it's not perfect. no 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 I've like that's it. actually
0: like yeah that's like a thing about rodents that I've always been like heebie-jeebies um so yeah yeah so no you're not we don't want you to feel like you're too far off base or that we are judging that you dreamt about cannibal hamsters there's no judgment only <laughs> love there
1: hey that's, <laughs> the,
0: hey, hey that's some of my tamer stuff that's all <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> they would a whole podcast series on.
0: We're <laughs> <all> gonna see <laughs> that. Yeah, w- w- maybe we'll just get together and have one podcast episode. They're like, "Hey, let's all talk about the most fucked up dreams we had and analyze each other. Good times." <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. fun. that um yeah, like I yeah, that could be a good time. So we'll, we'll put a in podcast episode of ever. I heard one. <laughs> Yeah, that might be a, 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 a Friday afternoon. Uh, when we're off the clock and have a glass of wine podcast recording for that one, be like, and here we go, um. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, and to kind of end up the, the context, um, there's a, a individual who actually wrote a book um, on shadow work and I am totally blanking on the name of her book. I'll put it in the description of the episode so you can find her work, but her name is Carolyn Kaufman and she has a, a really cool quote that in spite of its function as a reservoir for human darkness or perhaps, or perhaps because of it, the shadow is the seat of creativity. And part of why I love that quote so much is I actually follow, a lot of like writers and artists on instagram and facebook and other forms of social media and i've got my little panties in a twist where they've been like super judgmental about life coaches and therapists and been like all y'all are like working in the light you're working in the light you just want to hear what's good and what's hot and like really these like artists and and writers have been like you need like y'all suck because the dark is where it is and I like got got like a little into it with it was like no actually a good life coach and a good therapist uh, will do you know shadow work with you and it's part it's just integrated into the practice and actually um, what I was thinking in the back of my mind is like a good therapist or life coach accepts everything. All aspects of the self are brought to the table, but they don't over concentrate on any aspect of it because that lacks balance. So I have a problem with the authors and the artists who are over there just wallowing constantly in the shadow and not looking at the positive aspects of themselves. Because there is this element that I've talked with people about, like be a tortured artist, that's fine. But like, how about you not drive yourself into depression, anxiety, and suicide alley in pursuit of your creative work? Like access that part of yourself when you want to manifest it, creativity. You know, through your creativity. But know the limitations and access the more like positive, joyous parts of yourself too. Find some friggin' balance is what I'm saying. Um, so, also from Carolyn Kaufman, the dark side of his being, his sinister shadow represents the true spirit of life against the arid arid scholar. Um, and some you know groups of Jungians also had this idea that. And this is a quote, acknowledgement of the shadow must be a continuous process throughout one's life. And, you know, you have later stages of shadow integration that will continue to take place. And it is a grim process of washing one's dirty linen in private. And that's that process of accepting one's shadow. So we do frequently. I coaching. love that. that isn't that just such a fun, like <laughs> washing y'all dirty linen and private. Um, Cause we, we do in therapy and life coaching want integration and that kind of seeing yourself more holistically and accepting all the parts of yourself. Um, so I, I like how that's like, you get in there and you do your shadow work, like you do it um, and you'll not just do it once. You'll do it multiple times. You'll do it as you develop and evolve as a human being. And that's just part of your work. And it can be a joyous process. Um, and, and for the
1: record, some of you need to do your dirty linen washing in
0: private and not on
1: social media.
0: Yeah, please yeah. don't. <laughs> like, please don't. Like, it's so letting, like, mm, like, not. Looking at you, Marshall yeah. Mathers Eminem, quit washing your dirty linen on your albums.
1: Do yes. it in private. <laughs>
0: Yes, yeah, so yeah. Poor little Taylor. Taylor Swift always getting the the jab for it's like every time you break up, do we really have to write a song about it? I mean, it making her a lot of money, and it seems like she's happy with it. So technically, no. So, oh no, no, no! I was just she reminds me like Eminem. Let's talk about my divorce and wanting to kill my ex-wife on all my, okay. my rap stuff. And then Taylor's like, "Ooh, I just broke up with somebody. Let's write a song about it." Like they are like different <laughs> genres of music, but I feel like they're doing a lot of the same work in their art. Um, it's like you can afford a therapist, people. Watch that linen and practice. Yeah, but I get like, I think Taylor's like straight up been like, am I like, I'm making money off this and it's, it's helping me be successful. So what, what? What you gonna do about it? Um, so there, are, and there's a lot more research out there. If you are, if you do want to find out more, I I typically don't go to Wikipedia, but for this background, I did because Wikipedia actually had really good research for this. Um, so I found this information from Wikipedia. Some was from Very Well Mind, that website, um, and Very Well Mind typically again has really good information. So um, they're great, and of course, like one of the premier places you're gonna find out anything you want to know about Carl Jung. The Society for Jungian Analytical Psychology. So those three sources were where I found the information for this background. So I'd, I'd mentioned earlier, though, like, um, I was, you know, put a pause on this idea of talking about shadow projections, because we're going to do a little bit of a deep dive on that. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna turn the mic over to Anna, uh, and be like, so t- tell us more about this work you might do with clients on shadow
2: projections. So just to elaborate <clears throat> a bit on the shadow and shadow projections. Um, So, you know, as you stated, each of us have a shadow and it's a collected assembly of those parts of ourselves that we've learned to keep out of sight over the course of our lifetime. And this would be for reasons of like survival and safety or acceptance. We learn to deny and bury bury our pain and shame and wounding. And in our attempts to lock this unwanted material away, we assume that this would keep us safe, loved and accepted. However, (laughs) they in turn arise in the form of projections or other upsetting ways and rule us as invisible undercurrents. Mm. So it's for this reason that we see and experience the shadow indirectly. Um, So we will see it in the traits and actions of others that we find to be unpleasant or that we disagree with, but it's always something that's like out there. So it's always in a sphere where it's safer to observe and judge. And when we react intensely to a quality or an action in another person, it tends to be our shadow emerging as we project these qualities onto the other in an unconscious attempt to keep ourselves from seeing this within. So, I mean, I think it's kind of straightforward there in terms of talking about shadow projections. And the thing is, you know, it's stuff that you don't really want to take in yourself. But a good way to notice them is like, if for instance, you have somebody who just kind of rubs you the wrong way or they're getting under your skin, the kind of question like you kind of need to sit with is like, okay, what is it in them that's bothering me so much? And not just why, but where can I see this in myself? So normally shadow work is very murky (laughs) because (laughs) (laughs) you're kind of like in the trenches digging up the stuff that you've like turned a blind eye from for so long. So, if I'm working with clients, it's usually like you know having discussions about sort of like the little tics, peeves, arguments, things like that, things that are coming up, and then sort of like diving into that to see like where they noticing these traits in themselves. And this can be met with a lot of backlash because you know not everybody's ready to face that stuff in themselves. Um, so yeah, I don't know if that answered your question or if I kind of went off board there, but.
0: Oh no, that's great. So yeah, that's the idea and to to ground it a little bit more in an example, Like I, I have found that I get very annoyed by students in my college classes that I perceive as being lazy or procrastinating. And, you know, aside from like, just before the show started, I was talking about the fact that I have some students that are experiencing the inclement weather and chilly temperatures and really awful stuff in Texas. So my, my thoughts are with you all and I hope you're all okay. And like for them, I sent them out, like all the thing, it was like, school will come later. Just worry about your safety and the well being of yourself In your family right now but on a day-to-day basis with school when a student's like hey I didn't get my paper done I'm like well that sounds like a personal problem you getting a zero because I don't take late work because you should organize your life to figure out how to do your school and I don't really want to hear that many excuses so I kind of have a reputation (laughs) as being a little bit of a hard ass um and like I really get annoyed I get annoyed when a student emails me and it's like hi I had a hangnail I need an extension on my paper I'm like you gotta be fucking kidding me like be a grown up. Now, what through my own personal work, I'm like, you know, Misty, that you procrastinate a lot, <laughs> and you, you, ma'am, can can really have your days where you lazy. Uh, and so, is it that that's something that you don't like in yourself, and that's why you, when you see a student manifest that behavior, it really gets on your nerves. And like through a lot of a lot of personal work, I was like, yeah. That's that's probably why I respond so heatedly. And I've tried to like temper my responses a little bit like after like examining that. I'm like really when a student responds, instead of just firing back an email being like hell no you suck you should have got it turned in on time deal with y'all shit. Instead I slow down. All right, let's really look at the circumstances, like, am, how can I respond in a way that acknowledges their humanity and is supportive of them, while at the same time having universal standards for equality and expectations that apply to all my students? Um, so it encourages them to hold themselves to a high standard in their college experience. So I just, I'll sit down and get really centered, and like sometimes I say, could you give me more information about precisely what happened, about why you feel like you need an extension on this assignment? To the degree that you're comfortable providing that to me. And if it really is something like that I, I perceive as being like totally outside of their control, um, and it wasn't, you know, through their own actions, like I might say, Oh yeah, okay, I'll give you an extension. Um, sometimes I just now choose to give people grace. Which is something I've also applied to myself. Like I've started removing the terminology of laziness from applying to myself and other people, and I actually do a lot of clinical work. That if anybody says lazy about themselves or others, I was like, I'm going to need you to define lazy. And they're like, well, what? Like, everybody understands about lazy. I'm like, no, no. I feel feel like lazy too often is a very critical judgmental term that we use um, for either ourselves or others when instead it was somebody that was experiencing something and that their failure to accomplish a task represented the need for self-care. And that we deprioritize and devalue self-care. So in many cases, when we say somebody's lazy, what they really were was depressed. Um, they were really not motivated to do their their work because they are not passionate about the work and they are trapped in their you know setting. And so like I I don't just have that critique anymore for myself or others being like you suck, you're lazy, deal. Um, and now it's like let's really think about what's going on and you know it's not like I give every student an extension now like I really if they're like yeah you know I just uh, lost track of time I'll be like well you know that does happen but when you enter this program like you knew what when assignments were due from day one and so you're going to get a zero on this and I'm not going to accept it late but if you need any help with figuring out time management like reach out to myself or the school. So it, you know, I still hold people accountable for their actions, but I have a lot more cognitive flexibility for how accountability is applied. And also I catch myself being a lot more compassionate, even when I do hold somebody to a standard. And I'm like a lot nicer to myself too. So that I guess is an example. So. Well, and um, sometimes I
1: think, you know, we can find, and we can find this a lot in session that Uh, The first answer may not be the truthful answer. There's sort of a shadow behind the shadow, Um, you know, especially uh, culturally, there can be a lot of shame about the real answer, why something about a behavior, um, they don't want to tell you, I didn't do something because I was afraid, I was embarrassed, or even admitting that you're experiencing depression because we come from a culture in which you were supposed to be... The sunny, happy, rainbow puppies person all the time. You're not supposed to admit. Listen, life sucked. You know, awesome. it's like mm-hmm. I was deep down in the shit, um, and that can be a challenge too. So sometimes, um, you know, you kind of have to nudge just a bit, and it's like, okay, um, that that the you're not that that's a lazy. That's a, That's an easy label. But what's really going on? Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you know, what are you afraid to tell me? What are you embarrassed to say? Um, this is a safe space to uh, to get real. And um, as the old married lady of the bunch, because I have been married for uh, as of this month, twenty three years. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was like, because I don't th- have either of you passed your first decade yet. No. Yeah, so uh, as as I as I roll merrily along toward decade three, <laughs> um, nice. One of the things you can find is that um, if you want your marriage to to hang in there, um, you may you you get very good at giving space and time for that answer behind the answer, The why behind the why is what um, mm-hmm. I often call it because um, especially when you marry young like I did um, when you literally have a teen after your age mm-hmm. and uh, eventually progress to where there's a four before it um, <laughs> when you move from young to young ish because once you pass once once you get into the fourth decade you're no longer young you're young ish but you never get to old note to all men out there you've never met an old woman she's either young or young ish the science, people, the science. Um, you know, you oftentimes when you're learning about yourself, uh, sometimes grace is space, space for you to examine and figure out. Okay, what is the why behind the why? Mm-hmm. Um, people may not be shy; they may actually be scared, scared of rejection, scared of embarrassment. Um, it may be a phobia, <laughs> you know. Um, I have met people that they're like, I'm really afraid if I speak in public, I'll have a heart attack. That, isn't, that is a phobia. It's not what we would describe as a rational uh, a, a fear of the consequence. Um, but shy is sort of the easy answer. Uh, it's not exactly the uh, accurate answer. It's gonna start to say true, but true is somewhat subjective, but it may not be the accurate <laughs> answer uh it is old as, as the old married lady of the bunch i can tell you that um that's a skill you learn that sometimes you uh give your partner just a little bit of time a little bit of space and it's like i don't think that it's just quite accurate we're going to pause for a minute and let you mm-hmm. consider that it's like what's the act what's the why behind the why especially when emotions are high because it can be really really hard to reflect when your emotions are super high. Um, so we definitely deploy the timeout method, especially early in our relationship. It's like, my blood pressure's up. I'm feeling really emotional. I cannot think straight. I need five minutes to cool off. I'll get back to you. <laughs> um, and I know that sounds like something crazy, but uh, you know it works with toddlers and it works with grownups too. A five-minute, I need timeouts to cool off is really super helpful. Um, uh, so <laughs> I recommend that to everybody. Just be like, I need a timeout.
0: <laughs> but it, I love that you've kind of brought it to kind of that marriage aspect because, like, I will cover projections quite a bit in couples counseling. Like, we'll, we'll have a couple there, and I'll be like, you know, well, he just started yelling at me and it's like okay could you like give me your perspective what happened it's like well she was mad at me and so i got mad back and i'm like and and i can see like the the other their significant other's face like change i was like i just saw something kind of roll over your face when he said she was and like i've seen a wife literally be like i wasn't even mad at him right then i was confused I was just asking, and like, you know, my own marriage several times, like, like, just because I'm a therapist and life coach doesn't mean I always communicate effectively in my personal life. Like, so let's just be clear, like, sometimes you fail to take your skills into your personal life the way that you should, Um, but sometimes I try to break my a game, and there have been times where, um, like, I've asked my husband a question, and he has just snapped, and I've been like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, it would have been so easy for me to be like, well, you can just kiss my ass then blah, 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 because you snapped at me and you were a jerk. And stuff and like, so you snapped. Um, I want to share with you my intent for asking that question. And then like, if you could respond again, if you're still angry, you're angry. Because that's another thing that like, to try to manifest acceptance of the shadow within my marriage, uh, I am okay with people I love not always being happy with me. Like, and I encourage that. I'm like, it's just how you communicate it to me. Like, I'm okay if my mother, my sister, my husband, eventually when he's verbal enough, my child are like, I am very angry with you. And they can tell me that. And I'll be like, okay, like, do you need space? Like- is it that we're going to have to negotiate relationship repair because I've done something that like betrays, like, are you merely angry at me because I gave you expectations that you don't like? Because for that, you'll have to be angry, but I'm not changing my expectation. Like it will, man, but I want them to always be able to say, you have pissed me off. Like, and I, I feel very angry with you right now. You don't get to mistreat me, but right. I like, I'm, also, because my husband's not a therapist, I'm also training him quite a bit to be like, uh, you don't tell our son ever how to feel. And any emotion our son has is acceptable behaviors, are productive or nonproductive, acceptable or not acceptable, feelings are allowed to exist judgment free. So as long as somebody in my household communicates their feelings in the right time, the right place, respectfully, and not with the intent merely to hurt someone else, then you get to have them. And it's my job to be Mm -hmm. resilient enough that if I want to be connected to you, to accept it in a positive way and not punish you for sharing your shadow with me. Cause that's another thing I do see happen with those couples that it will be a projection that I was mad and to justify my angry actions, I projected my anger onto my partner, or it can be, I tried to be vulnerable with my partner and show them my shadow and they rejected it mm. and judged it. And that can be one of the most relationship damaging things that I've ever seen, because if there's ever supposed to be a context that you're supposed to be like, Hey, come here can I open up my door of my soul and show you a little shadow it's supposed to be in your romantic super intimate relationships and so like I've just seen that be like I've looked at couples and been like y'all married but you seem like you hate each other like why like you, at some point didn't you believe something good about each other that you chose to be in this relationship, because relationships are a friggin' choice, at least in the United States, like, where there is no, you've, you know, been sold into marital slavery to someone in the U.S., um, so I'll be like, yeah, at some point, you chose to be with them, and in a lot of cases, not all, when we start drilling down, they'll be like, yeah, like, I opened up and showed a little bit of the shadow, I was kind of vulnerable, and they mistreated that information, and they, the person, like never let go of that resentment. And a lot of how they're acting towards their partner is like a continued manifestation of their need for revenge that I showed you some of who I truly was and you stepped all over it. Um, uh, And because of that, like I'll see some people also be super self-protective and I'll be like, hey, like if you're going to get in a romantic relationship, eventually they're going to have to be some verbal intimacy And some exposure of the darker aspects of the self to build a connection. And some people are like, I just don't understand why my relationships don't go anywhere. I was like, because you don't ever trust anyone. And we honor that because trust is scary. Like, because showing somebody, you know, that shadow self is so vulnerable, but one of my supervisors that absolutely loved, like a quote that has never left my mind, your ability to trust others is not truly ultimately a function of whether you perceive the other person to be trustworthy, is a function of how much confidence you have in yourself to handle the betrayal. And I was like, oh, "Why do you gotta put that truth out there like that? Oh my goodness! Because that is like, why are we scared to trust?" Holy Jeremy linen, Batman! I was not ready for that. <laughs> <You're> like, why? Ha 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 ha! Okay, I hear you. I hear you. I'm gonna chew on that for the next 30 years of my life. Thanks so much, but yeah. But that makes me wonder
1: because um, I, you know, and Anna would
0: probably know
1: more about this when. It, People are utilizing either psychedelics or um, other substances. I don't know. I, I can't remember Anna if you've ever worked with people or studied ayahuasca. Like, do people find themselves confronted with their shadow in, um, like, a, a sense, and they're kind of frightened a bit with?
2: <laughs> and
1: but, yeah. but that yeah, is like yes 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 yes, yes. Like, my understanding like particularly with psychedelics people make the mistake of not having a trained guide with them mm-hmm. and you know and that that is something that is definitely not recommended that you need to have the trained guide with you because when you confront your shadow self in those experiences you need the guide to make sure you know how to handle it to ensure not just to make sure the physical space is safe but that you have somebody to sort of help you navigate that and that when people talk about a quote-unquote bad trip i was not gonna say that they don't have the guide with them to say oh this is what's going on and let me navigate that help you navigate the situation
2: yeah like i i personally don't view bad trips as bad trips like those are usually the most juicy experiences because it is a lot of your shadow material coming up it's just like the way in which it could manifest could be really daunting because I mean you are in this like altered states and you're seeing all these things and like you know to give like a little bit of a, a personal story I was in um Mexico I went to go do like some ayahuasca ceremonies and peyote and stuff like that and ended up in a mushroom ceremony and now I'm cool with animals like i don't have any animals that freak me out or anything like that like on the contrary like i just want to touch them and interact with and, <laughs> and play with them when i can't do that it drives me crazy because i just want to be like oh come here you. let me play with you a little bit you know and um when the mushrooms started coming on there was like this first of all i got extremely cold so my body was reacting viscerally as well like i was shivering uncontrollably and no matter what i did like no matter how many blankets and stuff i had on me From the inside out. And then in the ceremonial space, they became like this massive black mass that turned into all these spiders. Now I'm not afraid of spiders, like I'm cool with them. But for some reason, like this huge black mass was so daunting and it was terrifying me. And I was kind of just like crippled in this corner, just like I didn't know what to do with myself. And then I kind of came to the realization of like, okay, well, this is not, this is not working. Like I gotta, I gotta go into this and see what what this black mass is about and what it wants to te- like what it wants to tell me or what it wants to show me so when i started working with that what came up was grief and those intense emotions particularly like grief has always been one that i wasn't really able to work with so i always used to shut it down so it was a big shadowy emotion for me and ironically it appeared as this like black shadowy mass in the form of spiders Hmm. and when I kind of went into it and I was like oh this is my grief like all of a sudden like I just started bawling I think I was crying for like a solid two three hours but like from the moments I started crying and the moments I got like inquisitive about okay well what is this like what do you need to show me like what's your deal it kind of it dissipated right like it wasn't this like intense black mass anymore it's like I ended up going on this like in a journey of like oh all these feelings are coming up and this is where it's been coming from and da 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 so I can't remember who said it, but it was like something I read years ago. And they were saying, like, if you're in these journeys and you have like this scary dragon that comes up rather than trying to run from it, because, I mean, you're only resisting it. And that just makes it bigger. You kind of want to turn to it and be like, all right, what's your name? Let's sit down, and have a chat like, you know, you want to befriend it to start to work with it. So like when people talk about bad trips. I really see it as like, it's not a bad trip. It's like something there that you need to integrate. It's something you need to work on. It's something you need to really like befriend. And the thing is too, like a lot of people don't have like the, like little tools to help themselves when they're in those spaces. And I mean, like one thing I tell people is like, your breath is your lifeline, both figuratively and literally. And normally when people are entering into a bad trip or in a bad trip, if they really were to like cue into their body and see what's going on, they're not breathing properly they might be taking rapid shallow breaths but from the moment they start to take deeper and slower breaths then you're calming you start to calm down your nervous system and then from there like you can start to like enter it and move through it so yeah so what you're saying in terms of like psychedelic states bringing up a lot of shadow material like that's huge like it's a massive massive thing it's just how it materializes ends up being the tricky part you know but again like you have to understand that all right like you are going into these you know states where these substances are going to start to bring up a lot of material whether you want whether your ego wants to look at it or not but like with psychedelics you know a lot of people say that when you're in those states and those things start to arise it's because your psyche is like sort of urging you to be like hey this is something you need to look at you're ready to work on this now so so yeah now
1: in your experience, does being in that ceremonial space impact whether or not you understand what you're getting into? Because, you know, I, it seems that people that engage with these substances from a more um, ritualized spiritual sense seem to have a much richer, healthier experience and people that are like, I think I'm just gonna go throw something back at a party. It definitely seems to be a richer, different experience in the ceremonial experience where you prepare psychologically and emotionally before engaging with it than somebody that engages it for lack of a better description as a party, drug or recreationally. it definitely seems like there's a distinct difference between the work you're doing as opposed to somebody who's not really engaging with it as sort of a healing substance or a healing
2: process. Mm -hmm. I mean, in terms of like the ceremonial and ritualistic setting, I mean, that container is kind of being set up to be more conducive to those, you know, going deeper and having those daunting and or transcendental experiences now i'm not knocking anybody who chooses to do psychedelics and say like a festival or something for me personally i know myself really well i cannot do that like guaranteed i will freak out like i get too sensitive (laughs) around um having too many people's energies like i feel like i just open up too much and it becomes overwhelming now i've heard a lot of people go to festivals and have like take lsd and have some transcendental experiences through the music because i mean music is a thing as well with psychedelics so there is that but then there also is the like repercussion where some people end up having a really really rough time
0: yeah when i um
2: oh go
1: ahead i was just saying it's it's definitely uh something to think about i openly admit that that you know having struggled with bipolar uh, my natural chemicals will trigger altered states. So I'm not inclined to take anything uh, that will enhance it. Although I have to agree, um, with, whether it's an external chemical induced or, in, or or your body's internal pharmacy, the deep breathing is really, really important. <laughs> that much I can attest
2: to. It's your lifeline.
1: <laughs> yeah, I love that. That breathing is your lifeline. Literally, I love that. I love that. Um, but I think that's just, just fascinating. Um, the idea that we can utilize, uh, something that literally grows out of the ground or in the case of a mycological plant, something that literally grows out of other dead things <laughs> to heal, um, fractures in our psyche. it just, fascinates
2: me yeah like for me i've turned i've turned to psychedelics and plant medicine specific specifically for like shadow work as well because like i'm a scorpio i love dwelling in the underworld i love being in the trenches and (laughs) being in my shit. like i thrive in that maybe a little bit too much (laughs) (laughs) I, i always need like a kind of supportive container around me even if it is that i'm doing it on my own and the thing with psychedelics and plant medicines, it really sort of like softens the barrier of your ego to like the resistance of your ego. So it enables these things to come up, and you're just like, all right, I'm going to lean into this now and check it out and <laughs> have myself a good cry or punch my pillows or whatever it is that needs to come out, you know? So for me, it's always been like a really useful tool for when I want to do shadow work. But yeah. Nice. Very, very nice. So,
0: um, I am interested in just seeing this growing body of research about like, it's almost like when I think about like um, like Chinese medicine, like acupuncture and acupressure for the longest time that, you know, mainstream science was like, oh, whatever. And then they do more work and they're like, just kidding. We found the scientific basis for it. We just didn't know what it was before. Like I remember working at you know, a hospital, being a therapist uh, at a hospital. And they're like, hey, we're doing free trials of acupressure downstairs for depression. I was like, y'all used to turn up your nose at that. Like, what are you doing? Like, but now we're doing clinical trials because you have effectiveness. And I remember the first time, like, our psychiatrist was like, yeah, we have a suicidal teenager. We're going to do acupressure beads on her ear. And anytime suicidal ideation pops in her mind, she's going to do the pressure. And I was like, Again, like three years ago, you would have been like, that's ridiculous. You know how, and now I'm seeing like, every time I turn around, I feel like all the psychology organizations I follow on Facebook, Instagram, all this um, is like, hi, we're looking at ketamine to treat, you know, depression, PTSD. We are looking at psychedelics, a lot of this idea about finally finding the biological basis for it. So I just love when people are on the cutting edge of it and um, initially mainstream science wants to poo-poo it but when you've had people that have been practitioners of it for about you know hundreds of years and they're like no we we know and you can just catch up when you're able to <laughs> You'll catch up later, so I love that. That we're we're seeing it, but I do love science, so I I do feel that push about like explain to us why, and that like for the breathing, it's like people have known for forever. Like recenter yourself, do your breathing exercises, but you know people finally came on. It's like oh yeah, when you force slow breathing, you force activation of your parasympathetic nervous system, that is your system that resets you back to baseline functioning and calms you down. Whereas your sympathetic nervous system is your fight or flight response so it's like yeah but we we've always known that but thank you science that you had to come along to legitimize this um but i'm actually even in therapeutic practice like clients that i have that are not responding very well to antidepressants um or you know anti-anxiety medications i'm like hey you know just You look at this research and you talk with your physician about some of this exploration of some of this more alternative medicine and whether or not it can be effective for you. So it's going to be exciting to see where that goes. I am a little scared that science is going to miss that spiritual container for it and the ritualistic aspect and what it does. Um, But we'll see. We'll see. It, It may not be that it may be in 10 years you go get your, you know, prescription, for your peyote or something, you know, we'll see, see where that goes. And, um, and see, I would love to see if they can make that mind body connection as far as the exact chemical changes that are happening neurologically, when you do shadow work, that will be that like intersection. Uh, But one day I'll, I'll be a geek about it until the research is done. So I just hope
1: that prescription comes with a ticket to Trinidad so I can do so. Yes, thank you. Like I want the prescription to be like, Here's, you know, here, here's your plant. Mm-hmm. Here's your plane ticket. Like they need to come together. That's yes, the <laughs>
0: But I think for me, like, a lot of it would just be like, oh, you get to go someplace beautiful, warm, and tropical. I'm like, yeah, I don't need anything else. Like, just that vacation is going to do the ticket. Like, the other stuff is the cherry on top of the cake. But just, (laughs) like, getting away from the cold and the rain. But, yeah, Anna and I were actually talking about that the other day. It's like, you have anything for too long, it's not fun. Too much sunshine for too long starts to burn you out. Too much cloudy coldness uh you know burns you out too so um i think changes transitions exploring new things are just good for us psychologically so people need to open up that mind to be willing to get out there and try some stuff but i think you probably can draw from our conversation if you are interested in what anna's talking about as far as the process of psychedelics let me just dig, dig my heels in the sand and say go to a practitioner that knows what they're doing please do not just go get some acid from somebody off the street because you could just be really really making a horrible choice and if you've had a friend that went to you know a fish concert and had a bad trip um, don't think that that you know rules out everything that was recreational use that was not manifested in the right container um so that would not necessarily be your experience so you know somebody knowing what they're doing can make all the difference so don't go and try this on your own just get it from a dealer off the street no no no, 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 no. Make good choices. Thank you. <laughs>
2: wait to do that because I mean, it's not something that's regulated, right? If you are going to just go get some acid off the street, at least get a solid test kit to make sure you know what you're taking.
0: <laughs> like, but yeah, I mean, people. Mm.
2: Other chemical compounds, like just, mm. just at least be safe. Practice some safety.
0: I have had many conversation when I was a substance abuse um, therapist because i would had several cases of children getting uh, or teenagers I should say being referred to the program because they had a really bad trip like I had children um, that had um, schizophrenia that were taking schizophrenia medication and then smoked weed laced with um, it was either acid or PCP I can't remember what it was and of course they already had a predisposition towards having psychotic episodes they were on medication that was very heavy and impacted their dopamine levels. And then they smoke, you know, psychedelic weed and uh, like had horrible things that were happening. Um, And they were like, but it should have been fun. I was like, why? Because your dealer told you it was safe. Um, What's your dealer's motivation to get money off of you? They're not worried about your health and safety. So, uh, you know, always just think about that in the back of your mind when you're going to something that's unregulated and do do be responsible and um and regular listeners know I'm a big believer of call
1: a professional. Mm-hmm. Like do not have your doctor rewire your house. Do not have your mechanics at broken bones. Yes. So if you're interested in this, you need to contact somebody that knows mm-hmm. what the hell they're doing. Yes. Um, so everybody knows that that is like that I will plant my flag mm-hmm. on that, that
2: rock any time. Um <laughs> So, and I, I, oh, go ahead, Anna. Oh, no, I was just saying like so many people now are getting into the whole like trip sitter slash guide rules or facilities and rules. That's something that I do. So like I offer those services to people, if it is that they want to like go deeper with a substance, like I can provide the container for them and support them, help them move through things and teach them certain safety protocols. And, you know, if it is that they want to like go deeper with it through a little bit of like counseling work. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you're like,
0: well, it could start out as you just, trip, but we know stuff's going to happen. Use it wisely. Use that information wisely. Um, and I have had clients that, like, you know, in North Carolina, weed's not legal, but, you know, in the United States, it's legal in various states. So I have several clients that manage their anxiety by daily smoking some weed and stuff. And I'll have them. I'm like, so if you get a new medication from your doctor, you need to call your pharmacist and say, I smoke weed this often, this quantity, Will this interact with my medication? And a responsible pharmacist will still say like, hey, you probably shouldn't smoke the weed because it's not legal in North Carolina. But they'll either be like, no, nah, there's no real interaction. Or they'll be like, holy shit, don't do that. So I don't think enough people reach out to, I don't know the people that went to school for this shit called pharmacist to be like, should I be worried about these interactions? Reach out to your practitioner. As Sookie just said, be smart about your life and your health. So, but I'll get off it
2: it kind of comes like the shadow side of society in a way, right? Because these have been like taboo topics and taboo substances for so long. So people are scared to reach out, you know? So again, mm-hmm. that comes, that kind of pops up like a, a shadow side to the co yeah. yeah.
1: I think they're either too scared or they don't take it seriously enough. It's like,
2: we can't, You're not good at I mean, the fair is viable because, I mean, like, say, for instance, you go to your pharmacist or whoever, your doctor or whatever, and you're like, yeah, I'm going to do this or that or whatever. You don't know if they're going to call the police on you, you know? Like, you don't know if you could really have that safety and rapport in terms of telling them your intentions or whatever. So there is a viable fair there. And especially with, like,
0: weed, I see – a, a very interesting variability based off of the age of the doctor and their perspective. And older doctors who are raised and call it like the wacky weed and the electric grass and blah blah blah. That oh. like, if my clients go in there and they're like, "Yeah, you know, I do edibles or I smoke on a regular basis," the older doctors will be like, oh, "Judgment." Yeah. Um, and then I have plenty of ones that go to younger doctors. Like I had a client that went and was like, yeah, you know, I have this going on and I, you know, smoke weed on a regular basis. And the doctor's like, very good. Cause that could help you. Like, <laughs> it's well, like, okay. you go right ahead because we can be very helpful for anxiety. Um, so it's like just the, the agent experience of the doctor, but that shadow projection, why would I not reach out for help when I need it? Because yeah. of fear of judgment yeah. that somebody is going to judge my choices And yeah, like that's a legitimate fear, especially if you are like working with a doctor and they're going to put something negative in your chart and that could like bite you in the ass later kind of thing. Um, But also like there's an element of being solid enough in your own choices and being confident enough to be less fearful of the judgment of others and Mm -hmm. saying, well, you can come at me that way. And that's your choice to be that. But I know what I did was fine for me. And mm-hmm. so you can take your judgment and kindly insert it in your ass and have a nice day. <laughs> so <know> that, so. <laughs> there we go. Now, Suki actually went through and um, like found really cool examples of this kind of presentation of the shadow in classic literature movies and such. So, Suki, you want to share some of that with us? Yeah.
1: So uh, the uh, quintessential. Shadow uh, in the West is, of course, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, which I think uh, just about everybody will be familiar with. Dr. Jekyll, of course, is trying to purge himself of all his bad intentions, um, makes a chemical, experiments on himself. And he does purge it into uh, what we would now refer to Mm -hmm. as associative disorder, Uh, (laughs) and uh, Dr. and Dr. Jekyll is a saint who purges uh, into, turns into Dr. Mr. Hyde uh, unexpectedly goes on a murderous rampage. Um, <laughs> then um, now for a more modern version, because I wanted to try and sort of span time, Something Wicked This Way comes by Ray Bradbury. Mm. And he manifests uh, the light in shadow with two actual persons. There's a toe-headed a uh, boy who represents good, and of course the names escape me at this moment, uh, um, but light and dark are represented in a toe-headed and dark-headed boys who, of course, born on the same day, they're best friends, um, and when the evil winter carnival comes to town, you know, uh, the best friend, the toe-headed best friend has to rescue his dark-headed best friend, whose mother is a woman of ill repute, of course, Um uh, you know, from the, the Temptations of the Evil Carnival. The other one is The Other by Thomas Tyron. No, I will not provide you with the spoiler, but suffice <laughs> to say, it falls into the Evil Twin category. It's delicious. <laughs> delicious. Um, so, those are some books for you to check out. Um, on the movies, Good Night Mommy, a delicious uh, take on the Evil Twin from uh, the German set of movies. Very, very good. Love the ending. No spoilers provided, but go check it out. Got some trippy, trippy visuals in there, including the fact that one of the characters is completely masked in gauze through the entire thing. Um, It's delicious uh, and, and, and very trippy. And the mother in it is actually behaving in a way that's utterly confusing. And then you get to the end and you're like, oh my gosh, how did I not see it coming? Now, something on the lighter side, Mean Girls, in which the lead character (laughs) leans into her shadow to infiltrate uh, the popular girl's side. And uh, her nemesis is somebody who seems to manifest all shadow, (laughs) at least at the start. Um, And my favorite, favorite celebration for the modern woman bad moms and bad moms christmas mm-hmm. um i love bad moms bad moms, <laughs> in my opinion is all about celebrating uh your shadow and also leads and also now that i think about it um leads back into our glorious saying no to things yeah um so uh if you need a good laugh and you want to celebrate the good shadow time you got to check out bad moms and on a side note
0: Mila Kunis, what a cutie! So go for. (laughs) Is she one of your girl crushes? Is she one one of my girl crushes?
1: Uh, So uh, absolutely love it. Um, Oh, can I
0: pause you? Because I just had something jump into my head that I cannot friggin' believe that we did not talk about before we started recording the show, Westworld. West World, the TV series on HBO. And so, spoiler alert if you don't want to hear anything about it, Westworld based off an original movie that I saw when I was a kid that came out in the 1980s that was like, hey, we have this world where everybody gets to explore their shadow self because it doesn't matter what you do because you're only killing and raping robots. So that was the original movie, but the robots start killing the the park residents in the original movie. When they did the remake on HBO. They added in that essentially the robots were gaining sentience through artificial intelligence, but it was still that they were being used to allow people to express their shadow self if they chose. And they are not even hiding the friggin' symbolism in Westworld. They'll be like, you're choosing to come on a trip to Westworld. Would you like to wear the white hat or the black hat? Would you like to manifest the positive aspects of yourself and go on a wholesome journey? Or would you actively like to go into this park and rape and pillage and plunder and murder? Like (laughs) which one, and people would get to choose. And people almost became like addicted in some cases of going to the park to be given the freedom to manifest the shadow aspects of their persona at a place where they felt like it was safe. And so again, spoiler alert, like, you know, if you haven't watched it by now, the only problem was, is that they were actually manifesting the shadow on creatures that had gained sentience. And there's this whole symbolism that I freaking lost my mind over in the film about the Labyrinth and about the main black hat character in Westworld trying to discover the labyrinth and he keeps being told the labyrinth was not intended for you but he's playing the deep game for Westworld where he goes beyond the shallow stories of murder and mayhem that people get to manifest. And he was going like behind it to do the labyrinth. And what he eventually kind of finds out, although like this might be my own personal interpretation, is that the labyrinth was intended for the artificial intelligence as they are gaining consciousness, that they are navigating the labyrinth to become aware of themselves. But even with the artificial intelligence in season one, we have this pure light character that is all goodness and light. And she becomes full murderous insane shadow in the second season and becomes like ends up again, spoiler alert, sorry for anybody that's gonna watch it. Like murdering the, her own love of her life in pursuit of her goals kind of thing and twisting him. So it like the symbolism for the shadow up in Westworld, I cannot friggin' believe that's not one of the first things that came to my mind. Like they literally like choose white hat or black hat not transparent like not <laughs> transparent yeah. and great talent you got jeffrey wright you got tandy Newton, yeah Newton,
1: mm-hmm. and anthony hopkins all through the first season mm-hmm. i mean hannibal lecter need yeah. i say more we'll <laughs> do what i do go to the library get the whole season for free uh yes. shout out to local libraries patronize mm-hmm. them i love them um, I'm a library evangelist. <laughs> they, no, seriously, like somebody called to sell me a cable package and I convinced her to get a library card. I'm bad. Um, <laughs> up. Uh, uh, so, we, uh, uh, Misty came through because I could not figure out like who is in the comic book. She actually came through with us with the comic book hero, the shadow, who literally is a hero who is a shadow self and a shadow being, and, uh, his, and his his secret identity is just his person, which I love. And now I'm gonna have to go back and track down this movie with Alec Baldwin in it, yeah, um, okay. which I have a vague recollection of now that she, when she mentioned it, but now I have to absolutely go track down.
0: I this. mean, people poo-pooed on that movie in, the, in you know the 90s when it first came out, but I liked it even then um and and I love again as we were talking about in this context Alec Baldwin like goes and and does some like mysticism stuff um, it reminds me a little bit of like Batman when he goes and learns like the martial arts and the mystic art or whatever but it's a lot more spiritual for the shadow and he gains these abilities to cloud men's minds and become a shadow and not be seen be invisible by people and to use um, psychic powers to manipulate their thoughts but when he enters into that state he physically changes appearance like his face almost like morphs to a eviler looking face uh and he's like hiding in the shadows so like i thought for that i was like that's like the shadow aspect very much of manipulation that we all have times where we want a certain outcome and we will figure out a way to manipulate others but if you directly asked us were you trying to be manipulative i have very few people they're like yeah I was yeah. being manipulative. That's You're right. No, like nobody says that shit. Everybody was like, no, like what do you taught? I didn't mean I didn't bother. Like I'm just very persuasive. Yeah. They just realized I was right. No, you, you intentionally said things because you knew they were going to feel guilty or you selectively presented information just so that they thought about it the way you wanted them to think about it and did and left out shit, hyped up certain shit. We all have the tendency to be manipulative. So like, of course they make it very superhero, fantastical in the comic books, but I was like, oh God, yeah, like they're just, you know, projecting that aspect that. It's very common for us as a part of our shadow selves, the urge to manipulate others in order to reach our own goals kind of thing.
1: But my big recommendation, uh, combination movie recommendation is The Dark Half mm. by Stephen King, which is going to get very meta. And we're um, <laughs> running out of time. So I won't, I won't go too crazy. But So Stephen King wrote The Dark Half in, I believe it's 1989, but he wrote it in, under the pseudonym Richard Bachman, which in the reissue, he thanked for his help. So he thanked his alter ego for his help (laughs) on writing a book, which is, spoiler alert, about a man who writes a book using a pseudonym and an alter ego and the alter ego. (laughs) And then he decides that he's not. And so it's uh, about a man named Thad and Thad uh, teaches English at a very posh, private New England school, because if you know anything about Stephen King, everything bad happens in New England. Everything bad, there's something about Maine. Um, you nice don't want to go visit. up there, no. Bad things yes. happen up there. <laughs> yes. Nice place to visit, wouldn't want to live there. Um, and So Thad uh, aspires to be a writer. He wants to win the Booker Man Prize, win a Pulitzer. It's not happening. So to help uh, supplement his meager income as the professors among us can attest to um he starts writing uh these crime novels uh, as the alter ego george stark how's that and <laughs> uh, a character uh, with a lead character named alexis machine and eventually uh somebody comes along and says i'm gonna out you and tell everybody you're writing is this you know this dark violent stuff and he's like well fine i'm gonna kill off my alter ego Um, And his alter ego doesn't like it and comes to life. And what we learn is when he's writing as his alter ego, all of those dark personalities, his wife comments on that, that um, both in the book and in the movie, that when he writes as his alter ego, all of those shadow aspects of the personality come alive. Bad types, his alter ego writes longhand. Bad sober, his alter ego drinks. Bad doesn't smoke, but his alter ego uh, does. Thad's gregarious, polite, his alter ego is sullen and dark and cold and standoffish. And um, while his wife appreciates the resources that those book sales provide, quite frankly, she's really glad when he finally decides he's going to stop writing these books. Um, so, of course, his alter ego uh, comes to life and goes on a murderous rampage against everybody who uh, encouraged Thad to kill him off. Um, one of the things we learned is that Dad had what's called a parasitic twin in his brain that was actually excised. And so the supernatural element, because of course, this is a spoiler alert, you're actually going to get the parasitic twin is, is uh, you know, grown into a fully birthed human
0: uh, uh and uh, there's because it is stephen it, king stephen king's got to make it super twisted. Yeah. uh so um and of course that has
1: twins he has fraternal twins a little boy and a little girl because like i said it's super meta um but one of the things uh that i like about it is just this idea that the shadow self in this case literally manifests in that personality we learn that when he's writing as his alter ego his uh, his alter ego takes on those actual personality traits in his life can actually observe them and that so that's sort of the theoretical intersection that we see between fad's personality versus his alter ego's personality and just that's one of those key takeaways that um, it's okay to embrace your all, your yourself but don't do it um, at the expense of other people um, you know in the book uh, and they don't really get into this in the movie, but in the book, that has to quit drinking because he has an accident that causes his wife to have a miscarriage. That would be when you need to get your shadow self in check, people. Mm-hmm. So embrace your shadow self, but don't let it go on a murderous rampage. <laughs> um, don't let it become an alcoholic. You know, you do want to keep it in check. So um, if you're a reader, grab the book. It's a great read. Not a reader, check out the movie. It's Timothy Hutton. Um, and, and it's just, it's really good. It's George Romero. So if you like Night of the Living Dead, um, you're going to like the dark half. Um, and so, uh, on that note, we'll talk about some healthy ways, uh, that you can work with the expression of your shadow. <laughs> um, so, uh, one of the things that I think, especially being women, we struggle with is the expression of anger because we are all taught that nice girls don't get angry I personally have always struggled with this. I still have to work with it. Um, when somebody irritates me, I do a lot of deep breathing to hold back swearing when it's inappropriate or slamming my phone down or throwing things out the window, that sort of thing. So um, one of the things you can practice is being assertive. If you struggle with this and you know you're gonna get into a situation where you're gonna need to be assertive, you can practice being assertive before the situation arise so that you have the script ready. And that is much preferable to being passive and being a doormat and doing nothing or being passive aggressive, which will destroy relationships, Um, doing little digs, making swipes at people um, or gaslighting people, like we have mentioned in previous Mm -hmm. episodes um, or any other passive aggressive behavior. So if you have to practice being assertive before the situation arrives and have a script ready. That is preferable.
0: And work with your life coach and or your therapist if that mere act of being assertive causes you to feel guilt because you have a limiting belief that you don't have a right to feel the way that you feel or ask for your needs to be met. So that's a, like a phenomenal coaching or therapy topic. Just as a kind of FYI, because I do see that come up so much. I'm like, hey, I'll teach you the skills for how to have assertive communication, the person still like, no, I still feel like I'm being mean. I'm like, but you're being respectful and just asking for what you need and stating what will allow you to be happy. Why is that mean? Because we've been socialized to feel like as women, our Mm -hmm. needs shouldn't be met. Mm
1: -hmm. And trust me, whoever it is would much rather deal with it at the time than having a blow up and having you recount every single misstep over the past 30 years in a single go. They'd much rather <laughs> deal with it at the time than, and blowing up isn't gonna, is not a healthy way to deal with it either. Now, one of my favorites is what I call the patented five minute fit. So you just excuse yourself, close the door and you just throw a temper tantrum like a five-year-old for five <laughs> minutes. You get the whole five minutes. You can yell, you can scream, you can cuss, you can punch your pillow, roll around on the floor, kick your legs whatever you do, and you get all of that anger and frustration out. You bring your blood temperature down. You bring your blood pressure down. When it's done, you take some deep breaths to recenter yourself and then go back into the situation with a calmer, cooler head and then deal with it. And this can be good if you're angry, if you're frustrated, if you're feeling what I sometimes refer to as emotional static heavy emotions that are clouding your ability to use executive function and to think. And sometimes if you're having a crappy day, it's just fun to just say, you know what? Something is written. And I've done it like, you know, my wife gets a call. She's got to go back in and we had plans and it's a crisis at work. And I'm like, if you'll excuse me, I am very upset. I am going to go have a five minute fit because the situation, I'm not angry with you. I am angry with the situation. And I'll get a knock at the door. No, 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 no. I have 30 seconds left on my five minutes. <laughs> I'm taking it, I'm taking it. So uh, uh, that's the patented five-minute fit. I think it's okay for children. I'm just going to throw that out there. Like, if you get a kid that's having emotional regulation issues, and I'm, a, I think it's perfectly acceptable to be like, I'm going to give you five minutes. We're going to close the door, and then when you've calmed down, we're going to talk about it because whatever you did before this was not okay, and we're going to have a conversation about it that's
2: not uh, you know, properly used. I
0: think that that's okay. Um, oh, Anna was going to um, jump in for yeah.
2: a second. Yeah. Yeah, I was just saying to follow the five-minute fit, obviously it, it's probably not something you could do right then and there, but preferably at some point during that day, like journal about it because you need to sort of, again, you got to keep checking in with yourself, you know, like ask yourself the questions you don't want to ask and be like, you know, why was I triggered? Like, what, what did this bring up in me? What am I seeing? You know, like really really just get radically honest and fucking real with yourself because you got to, you can't just like, you can't just leave the shit.
0: And to give like a concrete example of like from a play therapy standpoint, like Suki was saying, like it's a very good parenting practice to give your kids space to have a fit where it's acceptable. It's not damaging property. And it teaches your child from a very young age, their anger is acceptable as long as it doesn't negatively impact others and like, let it have a positive outlet, but don't like, but in the right time, in the right place to where it doesn't hurt you or anyone else In play therapy, people will be absolutely shocked That if a kid gets angry in play therapy and starts wanting to beat my ass as a therapist, which has happened more times than I, because I'm a therapist. If they have a lot of anger in their lives, that's something that frequently happens is the therapist begins to be perceived as a safe person. Um, Or I set a limit and they don't like limits and they get mad at me. It is a common play therapy practice to say, I am not for hitting, but you can hit this and pretend it's me. Now, when I was first getting trained to play uh, play therapist, I was like, bullshit, that kid's going to be like, haha, what the hell are you talking about. But I have had so many children, if I've said I'm not for hitting, but you can hit the pillow and pretend it's me, a kid looked me dead in the eye, go get that plastic lightsaber sword and just start wailing the shit out of a pillow making really uncomfortable awkward eye contact with me and we've done amazing therapeutic work and I'm like you're just so angry at me like you are so mad at me right now you just want to beat the tar out of me look how angry you are at me and seeing even a young child can start to be like oh my anger is acceptable she's not rejecting me because I'm experiencing anger and I'm not in trouble because I channeled my anger in appropriate direction like that right there for so many kids like from that day forward when they just really beat the shit out of something pretending it's me i see like magically like future sessions the kid feels less of a need to beat my ass and then i'm like why yeah so it was just yeah and it's not even like we had to 100 super process it because kids aren't very verbal yet but the kid got it like it already made the connection
1: and that kind of leads into my next one which is Mm -hmm. you can give your shadow a face if you um are uh are uh, uh, inclined to visual artistic uh, endeavors, you can actually give your shadow a face, um, whether it be a mask, something that's more three-dimensional, or just painting with your, what does your shadow look like? Um, For those of you that are more uh, verbal um, or inclined to literary pursuits, you can write your shadow a letter Mm -hmm. or a blog um, or just talk to your shadow in the mirror. If your shadow talks back, <laughs> um, the other thing I'll say is sometimes you can lean into the mood, not wallow, don't wallow, but lean into the mood with media. You know, that's why we like to throw you some pop culture stuff. Lean into it a little bit, you know, with, with whatever the mood matching is, whether it's whether you like music or movie or books, whatever that is now, one of my favorites Get up and move, exercise, mm-hmm. dance, jog. Uh, box, kickboxing is really good. Oh, yes. Kind of like beating that pillow. Mm-hmm. Get up, punch a bag. Um, you know, uh, whatever those bags are called, the long cylindrical ones, you know, that Rocky was such a fan of. Get up, kick it. Um, yoga or something like Pilates, where you do long stretching movements. Um, there, there is research that says those types of movements actually are really good for your nervous system and your parasympathetic system. I don't, we don't have time for that right now, but there, there's research that. And the other thing is use the buddy system. Find a non-judgy friend that's willing to explore the dark side with you. The better their sense of humor, the better it is for you. Mm-hmm. Caveat: oh. don't borrow, don't steal anybody else's buddy. And that includes my wife. People keep trying to steal my wife to be the dark side, buddy. No, 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 no. don't steal somebody else's buddy. Get your own buddy.
0: Yeah, yeah, and now I have named my dark side and I creep out my clients constantly because I'll be like, you know what the devil that dwells within me says? And they'll be like, "What the fuck is she talking?" <laughs> I was like, "That's just the dark part of my myself." I and I actively call it the devil that dwells. And I'll say, you know, the devil that dwells within me wants to throw punch that person. Yeah, wouldn't that be good times? But no, let's let's figure out what we can do that's appropriate. Yeah, that's a good idea.
1: I like the idea of giving your your shadow um, an actual name <laughs> or a title, an official title. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I would tell people all the time
0: my
2: inner demon ate my inner child. Um, Now, uh, what was that, Anna? No, I was just saying, interesting that you called it the devil. I mean- just uh just to play devil's advocate over here <laughs> you know, like, when it comes to religion what if the you know in terms of saying that the devil isn't real but the devil is actually like the manifestation the <gasps> yes side. i oh. totally
0: agree with that somebody i respected that was actually one of my bible teachers when i was going to a private christian high school um she like i got her into a corner and i was like no what do you really think about hell and the devil and satan and she's like i know this isn't really aligned with the religious policy that the school is supposed to present she's like i feel like essentially she said i feel like the devil isn't a specific entity it is the shadow aspect and i was like yeah i kind of and you know that you know she said just like the absence of the light essentially like is how she kind of oh, worded that. it yeah so i oh, think that's
1: buddhism concept of possession is essentially that you take your demons change them to angels and then they leave you
0: hmm. Interesting.
2: That's of Integrating it.
0: mm -hmm. Yeah, because the again the goal is integration. And on that note, if from listening to this podcast you realize. That you could greatly benefit from, you know, if it's therapy because there's some impairment in functioning, please feel free to go to your insurance, go to psychology today, look up therapist in your area. If your overall um, functioning is not impacted and you do not need to specifically treat a mental health disorder, life coaching may be the way to go. And both myself, Sookie, and Anna are all life coaches who are available. We do work with people internationally. So if you would like to get in contact with me, Dr. Misty Marlowe, you can go to my website, mistymarlowe.com, or email me at email at mistymarlowe.com to get it set up with some life coaching appointments. And Suki, why don't you give them your contact and then Anna yours?
1: You can check in at my website at wildessentia, W-Y-L-D-E-S-S-E-N-T-I-A.com, or email me at introductions at wildessentia.com. And we'll set up a time to
2: chat. And Anna, how can they get a hold of you? You can visit my website at journeyswithanna.com. And that's Anna with one A. And then you can also email me at JourneysWithAnna@gmail.com. at gmail.com. And one of my little things that I like to do, or one of the things that I offer clients is shadow work.
0: Ta-da. Yeah. yeah. Anna is the only one that like specifically specializes in that area. Suki and I d- do a lot, but Anna uh, has a, a bit more history and background of specifically addressing that through life coaching sessions. Um, so you got a lot of options, people, no excuses for sitting on your duff and not doing your work. We can all grow as people <laughs> do it. moss is growing <laughs> under your feet. So Suki, why don't you take us out on that positive note?
1: <laughs> and like my grandmother always used to say, If you can't be good, be good at it. All right, people, we'll see you next time. Yay.